years and years and years ago, uh, uh, one of my good friends uh, had an uh, AIDS test. And back in that day, having AIDS was a death sentence. No one was surviving. And he's had the test, and he and his wife and uh, we friends are waiting to hear what the test is. So he gets the call, and the answer is negative. Never does the words negative have more positive content <laughs> than that. And it was like looking at a person under a death sentence. Be set free. And today we come to that point where uh, in the earth's darkest hour, through the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus, the death sentence is commuted, and in the power of darkness and sin, the verdict is negative. Um, so I'm going to um, talk a bit about uh, what that resurrection power means. I, I do want to start out maybe just for a minute talking about what I mean by resurrection. Uh, what I mean was there was this man, Jesus Christ, who died and then was raised to life. That's what that means. Now, you may think, well, that's obvious what that means. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, and you read the New York Times? You don't have to. I mean, <laughs> not, not you feel like you say. You they do have interesting interviews with the Times. And a couple of weeks ago, they had this great uh, interview with the president of uh, Union Seminary. And it's going to be one of the more embarrassing moments in the history of modern Christianity. Uh, where she can answer the simplest questions about what Christian faith means. And uh, it reminded me very much of, uh, of a biblical scholar back from the, the old days, um, Rudolf Bultmann, who said, what we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus is the rise of the Easter faith. And I want to emphasize those aren't the same thing at all. <laughs> We're not talking about the rise of the movement or the rise of, of faith. What we're talking about is the resurrection of a dead corpse through the power of God. Amen. That becomes a living human being. And Orthodox Christian faith has always confessed this. I will grant you that that doesn't happen very often. I will grant you the unlikeliness of it. Uh, but Christian faith depends on it. And when I talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the meaning of the resurrection today, that's what I'm going to be talking about. What does it mean that the one who had the right to judge was judged, accepted the penalties of human beings' rebellion against God, bore with him the sinful nature and died, and then God passed his verdict on all the powers of sin, 
and darkness and said to those powers, negative. I'm going to give life. Um, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the resurrection. Okay, so I'm going to read some Bible here. Uh, I thought it was too predictable just to read the resurrection passages from the Gospels. Uh, so I thought I would read a bit of Revelation. Uh, now, uh, it, because it also connects so well with uh, day one and, and uh, the Lamb uh, story. Uh, so I'm going to read several passages in Revelation. Um, uh, some of you have heard me say before, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the pyrotechnics in the book of Revelation. Kill, killer locusts, monstrous beasts, dragons, and cosmic wars. It's easy to get so caught up in that that you lose sight of uh, the fact that Revelation is a book of worship. There are more elevated, powerful worship scenes in Revelation than any other book of the Bible. Um, I went to my office on Saturday last week. I just needed one little thing. And somehow, my trips to the office for one little thing just don't work out. <laughs> and uh, all the offices were closed. I knew they would be. And I got to my office, and I, I slid my card, and uh, it wouldn't let me in. I slid my card, and it wouldn't let me in. I slid my card, and it wouldn't let me in. And uh, I'm, I'm a really calm person. And I, <laughs> there's almost nothing that upsets me, but my slide card not working is one of the things it does. So I thought, oh, man, am I going to have to call security just to get into my office to get this one thing? And I was getting ready to just abandon the project, but I thought, I'll try one more time. And then I realized I had been sliding my credit card. <laughs> Rather than my ID card. Now, my ID card works as a key to my office. My credit card works as the key to boundless debt. <laughs> they both serve a function, but they're not interchangeable. And... Um, I think one of the keys to really needing revelation with appreciation is to look at all the places that worship breaks out. And what we tend to do is uh, when we get to those places that are sort of set out in verse in most Bibles, is we just sort of slide through them. So what I'm going to do is just read several of them uh, in a row. You can, you can just listen and I follow me. I'm just going to be kind of jumping around and reading some of those, of those worship scenes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language 
and people as a nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. And that's just a few of them. Um, I have a friend who, uh, in one of his meditations, uh, considered and got me to consider uh, when the crucified Messiah, when the slaughtered lamb is raised to life, uh, and the son meets the father, what is the first thing they say to each other? Now, that's a way cool meditation. And um, his conclusion, which I really like, is this. He says, I think the first thing they said to each other is, we did it. It's harder than we thought it was going to be, but we did it. We took sin and disease and darkness, and the devil himself, and brought it all low. And now salvation belongs to our God. Um, it, just a little later in uh, Revelation, and I am I'm going to read uh, this uh, passage, and I am not going to fully, fully interpret it, I'm going to tell you the reason I'm not going to do that. It's because I don't have time. The real reason is I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I get the through line. I may not get the details, but I think I get the through line. Okay, I'm going to be in chapter 11 if you want to. Um, and I promise you I will quit well before I get to chapter 12 and the war in heaven. I was given a read like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, which, by the way, is the same thing as 42 months. I wasn't sure all of you could do that math. <laughs> Uh, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Who does that remind us of? 
Yeah, it's Elijah, right? And they have power to turn the waters into blood. Who does that remind us of? Moses. Okay. By the way, my freshman students don't know the answers to those questions. So again, I honor, honor you for having like read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. So you have this picture of these prophetic witnesses, which are killed by the powers, who then gloat over and desecrate their bodies. Of all the low points in the book of Revelation, this is the, this is the lowest point. Verse 11, but after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Well, that must have been disconcerting. And what uh, the writer seems to be getting at here is um, the resurrection power of God will not allow the witness to that <laughs> resurrection to be stopped. Even at the point where it looks like it is going to absolutely sort of uh, collapse, where the prophets have been killed, it looks like the powers of darkness have won, that is a relatively short time in Revelation, and then God uses his power to uh, raise it up. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not really a, a, a church historian, but um, Christianity's had some good days and bad days, some good centuries and some bad centuries. Um, but sort of resurrection power provides, um, I guess if I have a point, this is point one, uh, resurrection power provides assurance. Uh, there is always this uh, tendency uh, to judge uh, how you're doing by the newspaper. And um, you know, I've, I, I can read the statistics and the demographics as well as anybody else, and I, I see how grim it is in, in North America. Um, and uh, Christianity's had some other bad centuries, too, in other places in the world. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the assurance that in the fullness of time, God will be who God will be, and nothing can stand in the way of the relentless love of God. It just can't. Um, and I don't know about you, but there are some days when I sort of need that assurance. And uh, that assurance creates a certain calm and peace that we desperately need. 
Now, I, I'm not altogether uh, opposed to uh, occasionally trying to create urgency. Um, there are times with my students when, you know, we need more urgency. You know, you do have a 15-page paper due tomorrow. And you haven't handed in your topic yet. We need, we need a little more urgency. Uh, and in fact, uh, at that point, uh, I think anxiety would be helpful. <laughs> but overall, it's not. Anxiety contributes very little to the good of the world. And it's easier to make decisions and take risks and venture out for God if you have some <laughs> sense that resurrection power never loses its power. Um, one of the other things that these uh, passages suggest is um, resurrection power doesn't just provide assurance, it also supplies meaning. Um, now, it's not the only thing it does, but it's one of the things it does. And there's actually sort of a theme that you can follow through scripture on this. Um, It's a wise person who raises questions about what's worth living for. And what is the meaning of one's life? In my sophomore philosophy class, uh, which is very sophisticated in its thinking, um, when, uh, when we get to one of my favorite philosophers, um, I say, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. How do you die happy? How do you, on your deathbed, look up and say, that's what I meant to do? That was good. My life wasn't just a series of accidents. It had And there may be a few people who on their deathbed say this, but there are not going to be very many who say, man, I wish I'd gone to the office for a few more hours. <laughs> and that's kind of the way you think about it. You think about, oh, oh okay, what, what is it that in the end will make life meaningful? Um, if I am reading uh, the book of Ecclesiastes right, and I grant you not everyone reads it exactly like I do. It is largely a meditation on how death threatens to make everything meaningless. And um, I get that. Uh, you know, the, the writer sort of says you can spend your whole life acquiring knowledge but then you die. And they take smart people and stuff them in the ground. Right by a dumb person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
and, and the guy taking care of the graveyard is probably one of the dumb people. He'll get your graves mixed up and they'll think you're the dumb guy. <laughs> or you can spend your life acquiring things, getting wealth. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see a lot of you who are, who are uh, my age or older who are at that point in your life where you're asking yourself, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? And your children are also asking that question. <laughs> you know, that when they were thinking about their inheritance, they weren't thinking about your junk. <laughs> and the Ecclesiastes writer says, you can acquire, and you can acquire, and you can acquire. And, and then what happens is you die. And they stuff you in the ground. And you have to leave all your stuff to a dolt of a son who will probably squander it all away. Uh, or, okay, this one's a little pesky. You can spend your life trying to become righteous. And you know what they do with righteous people when they die? Stuff them in the ground. Ecclesiastes writer says there is no difference in human beings and the animals. As one dies, so dies the other. Where will your piety be? Then. And everybody lives halfway ever. <laughs> so the Ecclesiastes writer seems to say, oh, okay, this is the best thing you got. Make the most of the day because it's what you got. Something like that. Uh, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes that story a good bit uh, because that threat that death poses to meaningless is taken away. John describes this by the wonderful phrase eternal life, uh, which is not just talking about its length, it's talking about its meaningfulness. It turns out it does last forever, but it also means it has a depth and meaning that it could not otherwise. Uh, most of you know that almost all the work that I've done is in some way in conversation with my great adversary, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he, he presents this question more penetratingly than anybody else does. He unfortunately went sane until before he was able to answer it. But his question is, if God dies, where does meaning reside? How, how, can, how can any of life be meaningful if it's just here and gone? Um, I'm going to read you uh, what has now become one of my favorite passages, although I didn't really care for it. While I was growing up.
like that's never happened to you. Right? Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Now, that's the part I never really cared for. That, that was one of those verses that was used to uh, keep we young people from doing things we shouldn't. <laughs> uh, threat of hell, in my opinion, is quite underrated. <laughs> but you have to keep reading. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, it, it doesn't just say that, that your, your bad deeds uh, have consequences. It says that the things you do in the kingdom of God can never be meaningless. They always have meaning. They have eternal meaning. And uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm speaking to uh, those who are uh, uh, preachers, this, this is a pretty common experience from time to time to ask yourself, what am I doing? Uh, are we getting anything done? I'm not sure my neighborhood isn't a little worse than it was when I started 20 years ago. Um, we still surely have some disappointing behavior after all the preaching I've my church is small, not bigger than it was. And you come back to this passage and it's grounding in the eternal life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says, okay, the harvest now may not be on your schedule, but it is inevitable. Every little thing you do in the kingdom of God resounds. Um, I, I have a uh, that, that, my, the, the, the piece of property that I own that means the most to me uh, is a pinball machine. <laughs> I have a pinball machine in my living room. And uh, it's, it's a Simpsons pinball machine. <laughs> um, when I was trying to buy a pinball machine, I looked at the ones that were in my price range, and it came down to the, the Simpsons or on a Playwatch. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made the right choice. <laughs> and um, uh, my, my parents uh, didn't, uh, didn't let me play pinball when I was growing up. I'm sure part of it was money, but mostly they didn't 
want me in the places where pinball machines were. And there weren't those nice arcades like they are now. They were mostly like in truck stops and places like that. I love pinball. I care nothing for computer games. I can't play a computer game. I don't know what a computer game is. I know some students whose lives have been ruined by the computer game. Um, you know, we're back to that paper that was due. <laughs> they don't have a copy, but they can score high on, you know, mega whatever. The um, pinball, I can, I can sit there and I can play all day. So I have a very strict discipline. I never allow myself to play more than 20 minutes. Unless I'm in the middle of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop in the middle of the game. <laughs> and there are those moments in pinball where you know the ball is getting ready to run into the the gutter and you're in despair and it will just nick this little place and it'll go <laughs> and here we go all over. And Galatians is a heavenly pinball passage. <laughs> Every good deed goes pow. And it bounces off and starts rolling again. It bounces off and it bounces off and it bounces off for all eternity. Um, and there's, um, it, it's not possible for a life lived in response to the resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of God that is meaningless. <clears throat> this cannot be. And we are in a world that's sort of having a crisis of meaning. What's worth doing? <clears throat> worth giving your life to? How on your deathbed can you die and say, that's what I mean to do. Um, one of the great honors of uh, being a minister, one of the greatest honors is uh, we get to see a lot of people die. Um, and people who are deeply embedded in the truth of the resurrection power of God go out of this world so well. And you know, you sometimes have questions about meaning and you think, okay, this has meaning. Death can't have the last word. No word from God can fruitless fall. I want to reflect on one last thing. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus tells us something about power. And uh, having, having, having sort of spent my professional career in, in postmodern philosophy, I can tell you that what it is mostly about is power. Uh, that how you have it, what you do with it, how it operates, not the only way that I analyze the world. It is one of the ways that I always use. Let's see if this makes sense. Power doesn't explain everything, but you can't explain 
anything without. Um, I'm always paying attention. How's power operating in this room? Um, uh, by the very words that I choose to speak at the moment, I am exercising power. Uh, the one who controls the language, by the way, more or less controls the world. Uh, that used to be completely true. It's not anymore because nobody reads anymore. So now it's whoever controls the images controls the world. So watch those images. Watch those images. Uh, and power seems to be one of those things that human beings have a um, unbreakable addiction towards. And we all get that. Uh, I don't want to be out of control. Uh, I, I don't want to, uh, to place myself under somebody else's control. I want to have self-determination. Uh, and of course, not only do I want to determine the course of my own life, if I'm really lucky, I would like to determine the course of yours too. <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to do that. Um, it's, it's very hard to admit that we exercise power in that way. Uh, some people exercise their power by uh, belligerence and aggressiveness and, and bullying and intimidation, and that's kind of how they do power. Uh, other people do power by more passive-aggressive ways where they're still trying to exercise control, they're just not, uh, not doing it as overtly, they're, they're doing it more cleverly. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite jiu-jitsu power moves uh, is you know, when we're having a discussion about something and it's not going anywhere. Uh, in other words, that's a faculty meeting. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, you just feel that the elders me, you know, you, know you, 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 you feel everybody. Um, is by uh, asserting my power by totally surrendering it. This won't work with you now. I'm telling you what I'm doing. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I thought we were ready to do this. It's clear we're not. We, we, we clearly aren't mature enough to take this <laughs> off. Let's just let it go. And inevitably, somebody's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm like, oh, that was so easy. You know? <laughs> and it looks like I'm conceding power, but what I'm really doing is asserting it in a clever way. Uh, and, and I, I do think uh, thought the following uh, another one of my postmodern teachers, Michelle Foucault, that, that there's a certain inevitability to this. Uh, uh, but uh, in the world in which we live, uh, the assertion of power has reached very dangerous levels. Uh, everyone is so fright, and our response to fright is to try to assert power and get control back over whatever is frightening us. 
And what you wind up with is a world very driven by the desire for power. Uh, now, I, I have uh, no interest in rewriting or relitigating the history of Churches of Christ and writing it in a way where the Anabaptists win. That's what I was rooting for, it just didn't happen. Uh, I am saying this. Uh, real power in Scripture resides with God. And when human beings try to assert control, things don't get better, they get worse. And resurrection power allows us to, in some way, sort of loosen our grip. Um, the phrase I like best is, it allows us to hold things lightly. Now, I don't think it's going either uh, possible or advisable to completely let them go. You have responsibilities in the world. And those of you who are parents, you need to assert some power from time to time. Those of you who have any sort of relationships occasionally have to assert power. But all of those power relationships, I'm just suggesting that we need to hold much more lightly. Um, because the power of God is going to accomplish what it needs to in the end. And when human beings try to take control, that's now not how you get into the garden. That's how you get kicked out. Uh, it's a really script word. Be at peace. Uh, your team doesn't have to win every time. Mm -hmm. The fate of the world does not reside with you winning. The fate of the world resides with the fact that God already has won in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's passed his verdict on to the powers of darkness. And that verdict to them is negative. not going to be that way. Um, I just wonder what, what would sort of happen in our churches, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our nations if we could hold it all just a little more light. Amen. Knowing that God's got a good grip on it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I live in a uh, neighborhood with a uh, with a neighborhood association, a homeowners association. How many of you live in one of them? Um, in my 20 years of living in my house, I've never been to a homeowners association meeting, and so I decided after 20 years I should go to one. <laughs> I do have every intention of uh, going to another in uh, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, and we're all we're all neighbors, and it is the most contentious. <laughs> we're discussing about whether one should be fined if their garage door is open. <laughs> 
I can already know on that. <laughs> By the way, you know, if you want to let somebody take your stuff, that's no big deal to me. <laughs> I may go over and borrow your rake while I'm at it. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, world without end.